This is The Medical Republic, a podcast for curious GPs. My name's Felicity Nelson. Today we're joined by Dr Charlotte Hespie, a GP based in Sydney and the current chair of the RACGP New South Wales and ACT faculties. Welcome to the show, Charlotte. Thanks. Hi, Hi Felicity. Thanks for inviting me on. So what we've seen this week is coronavirus, so COVID-19, really start to take a hold um, in Sydney. Um, and a lot of people are starting to ask the question, you know, what do I need to do if I catch coronavirus or I think that I might have it? Um, what are the next steps that I need to take? And, and, and one of those steps would be self-isolation. Um, so do you want to just talk me through what... What are the steps that people need to take if they think they've got coronavirus or they do, in fact, catch it? So if, if I've got symptoms that are similar to uh, what we're being told is the coronavirus, which is very similar to flu-like symptoms, so um, a fever, though a fever is probably only 90% of the time, you know, feeling dreadful, maybe a bit headachey, um, cough and some respiratory symptoms, then at this point in time, what we're recommending is that you sort of immediately sort of flag yourself um, and maybe uh, self-isolate and ring your GP. And in the ringing of your GP, they will ask questions about what might be your risk. Now, at this point in time, we're still in that sort of zone of it's probably related to people who've travelled or have been in contact with people who've travelled. Uh, but we know that maybe next week that's going to start changing to being um, a more general, um, you might not really have that same sort of history in terms of your risk of being infected. But the biggest thing really is that that sort of alert to yourself to self-isolate and ring and ask, um, what should you do? And at this point in time, the advice, if you're not sick uh, or sicker than you would expect to get with, with the flu, then it's best to treat at home. There is no treatment uh, at this point in time that is of any use, apart from just the things that we do to try and make ourselves better, feel better. Um, use of paracetamol, plenty of fluids, um, and keeping quiet. And what's some of the things that GPs need to be aware of? Say someone calls them and they think that they've got COVID-19 or they've got symptoms that resemble that. What What is a GP on the other end of that phone um, going to say? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So at this point in time, the, the best thing that we can advise is exactly give the patient the advice about the need to self-isolate. So it's about, you know, A, getting the full history, making sure that you're comfortable that that they fit the symptoms of either mild to moderate um, symptoms of illness. Make sure they understand what self-isolation means and get them to make sure that in particular that they minimise the risk to work colleagues, um, family members and other community members. And then that they have some sense of well, you know, who have I been in contact with during a period of time when I might have been infectious, um, letting them know, and then basically keeping, as I said, an eye on what's happening, and then having a red flag sort of system of, you know, when do I, this is when I would like you to contact me again if you have any concerns about 
um, for instance, the development of symptoms that might indicate that they've got a pneumonitis. So it's a pneumonitis that is the, um, the symptoms that are more serious and when people might actually need to go into hospital. Sure. Um, and GPs taking those calls from patients, is there any way they can get rebated for those consultations by phone? So again, a great question. As we do this recording, no, but we are hoping to hear an announcement today from the Health Minister to say that there will indeed be a, um, an item number that we will be able to charge to Medicare around telephone consultations in this instance. And it seems like what you're saying is patients who come down with symptoms of the flu, so fever, sneezing, um, sore throat, shouldn't go to their GP. Is that what you're saying? Yes, we're certainly asking that to minimise the the risk of others being infected while people are being seen for an illness that we can't do anything for anyway, that we conduct those sort of consultations over the phone um, and that the best thing we can try and do is to keep people who are infected as far away from others as possible and to contain that that they're sort of their ability to spread the infection further. So you've got that fine balance between trying to make sure that the person that you're looking after is safe, that they have appropriate advice and that they um, are looked after properly so that, um, again, it's about weighing up what risks they have for getting sicker. So, and on that front, we know that age is the biggest risk factor for being sick. So the older the patient is, the more likely they are to be sick and then to actually die. So the deaths are all associate, pretty much associated with, with age. Um, and then co-morbidities. Um, so if you've got other illnesses, um, the more complex you are in terms of those other illnesses, again, the more likely you are to be sicker um, and to have complications associated with the infection. So as a GP, that's, the, you know, the really important skill is sort of basically doing that skills matrix read and deciding how at risk is this person for getting sick. They might not be sick at this point in time. So setting up a maybe a, a program of how you um, assess them going forward and at what point you might or might not have to refer them into hospital for more supportive care. And it seems like what might be happening in a worst case scenario over the next few weeks is that some GP practices might have patients attending who have coronavirus and then the GPs and the nurses might need to be self-isolated. Um, is there some thoughts on what GPs and their clinics need to do when that, if that happens? Again, a great um, question because that indeed is the biggest fear that everybody is worrying about at the moment. Look, the, the biggest risk with spreading it to staff is really only if there's a, you know, a, a widespread droplet um, spray, which is when, and the biggest risk for that is if we're doing the, the collections for specimens to prove um, that they do have coronavirus or not. And that's where there's the whole thing about protective masks, etc. We We know that by and large, the infectivity, if, you know, they're far enough away and they do appropriate hygiene is, is actually very low. But that doesn't mean that there isn't risk for people coming into the surgery. And we know that there probably will be people who come into surgeries sort of being a little bit unaware of what it is and not answering questions correctly. So in that case, then it's about, again, weighing up the risk of what, you know, what 
actually happens and how you do it. And that's where that whole infection control comes in, you know. Um, so, but worst case scenario, if somebody does look like they've they've sort of coughed and spluttered all over the, um, the front desk staff, um, what are you going to do? Well, basically everybody then needs to be able to say, well, unfortunately we might need to um, consider everybody potentially infected and then have to do some self-isolation for the next 14 days during which time we, you know, we figure out whether they've been infected or not. My hope is that that worst case scenario doesn't happen, that we, there's been enough education of people um, out there as to what they need to do, that the GPs have all got big signs on the doors saying, don't come in if you've got any of these symptoms, talk to us by phone, that the reception staff and doctors and nurses are all also aware of making sure that those questions are asked. So it's sort of a, a prevention is much better than cure and making sure you've got the right kit. So if you think that the only place that is, is possible to get a swab is in the GP setting, then to make sure you've got the right kit to be able to actually safely do the collection and then have that room shut down for the next half an hour um, before somebody else can go into it. And it seems like if patients do come in with cold and flu symptoms, um, it would make sense for the patient to be wearing mask a mask and the GPs and the staff to be wearing masks. Is that something that's currently being recommended or being thought about? Yes. So if somebody comes in and they've, you know, said that they do have the symptoms and, you know, they've decided that the GP is happy to assess, then yes, it is appropriate to give the patient um, a mask and probably to isolate them while they're waiting to be seen. The staff themselves, the reception staff, shouldn't need to have anything themselves in that situation. Again, it would be about making sure that the person who's potentially infective doesn't come close to them, doesn't go to the desk, goes straight to the isolation room. And then the GP who is assessing them should have, at the very least, um, um, a mask. And if they're doing it, taking a sample, then some goggles as well to protect their eyes. So it certainly would be ideal to have a full gown if you're, got, again, collecting a sample. But in the sort of just in taking a history and talking, then there would be no need for anything more than what we've just talked about. And does it make sense for people who have cold and flu symptoms to seek a, a test for coronavirus or is it more sensible for them to just self-isolate, wait it out, and then if they get worse, then try and seek testing? Again, a great question. Um, at this point in time, really, it's again saying what is the benefit of um, having a diagnosis for us sort of really it's about tracing the epidemiology at the moment rather than the management of the patient. Uh, well, certainly in terms of saying you must um, self-isolate and how long before you come back into the community to, you know, that you want to prove that you've, you've gotten over it. Uh, but there is an argument that um, can be had to say just go and self-isolate until, you know, for the two weeks. Um, but that might be down the track. So at the moment, if you are an at-risk person, so you've been in contact with someone or you're otherwise sicker than you would expect to be, yes, testing is appropriate. But if it is just mild symptoms and you've really got no risk still at this point in time, then 
would be completely appropriate to just go and self-isolate and, and talk to the GP and only really get assessed if symptoms worsen. And who are the people who might be at risk right now? So today, you know, on Friday. Um, at this point in time, on Friday, I would be saying anyone who's had any travel overseas in the last um, 10 to 14 days and or if you have contact with someone who's just come back from travel and I broaden that to be anywhere. The guidelines are still saying certain countries, but we're starting to see some evidence of um, the infection being more broadly um, spread than just... So, for instance, I think there was someone who came from London who's been diagnosed. There's been someone who's come from the Philippines. So it's, you know, that... The, the ter territory of where there's some infections is increasing. So therefore, really, just having travelled, I think, is enough at this point in time if you're concerned. And what should people do in preparation of this situation worsening? So there's been a lot of panic, people buying, you know, toilet paper and, you know, essential items. Um, is there some level of preparation that is sensible? Uh, what are the things that people really ought to be buying? Um, how much... Uh, what sort of things should they take note of? Look, I think that the, the sensible th approach is when you go shopping, certainly put in a couple of extra things in your shopping trolley that, uh, you know, would be useful if you're stuck in the house for um, a few days without being able to get out for fresh ingredients. So we're talking, you know, that, that the whole idea of the dried pasta or rice um, cans of, of food that you can make into sort of healthy food or convenience packs of things um, but I certainly wouldn't be worrying about needing to stock the house up for the next six months um, and that's not going to do anybody any good um, in terms of certainly as a community. As a community I think it's wise to put an extra couple of days than you would normally have in your larder and pantry. Some of the things I've been spotting on Twitter um, coming from doctors is uh, Things to think about as um, petrol for your car um, and also having some cash. Are those two things that are important to think about? Well, let's be brutally honest. If you're in self-isolation, you certainly don't need petrol in your car. Um, in fact, you, that's the last thing you need. Um, having some cash might be handy because you might want to give some cash to somebody who can go and get you things that you don't have um, in your store cupboard. And so because when we're saying self-isolation, we are really saying that you mustn't go to any public places, um, work, school, university, and really you should just be staying at home. Um, you can go out, you know, outside your own garden and courtyard, but we really are requesting that people are not going into public spaces. So that hence that really it does not matter if you don't have petrol in your car. Um, if the... Um, but yes, cash is probably handy <clears throat> for assisting somebody to get things for you. And I think one of the things that the doctors were talking about on Twitter is this idea of if you get an order or a request to self-isolate, um, you really need to be not taking public transport and going via a shopping centre on your way home to self-isolate. <laughs> um, and so that, I think that was the petrol in your car, so make sure you're taking private transport or if you do have to travel use an Uber and then tell the Uber driver that you're potentially infected. Um, have you got any suggestions on that, the, the transit bit? 
Ah, oh, yeah, look, that whole transit bit is, is tricky. But again, that goes back to why the phone um, is not a bad um, mechanism to be doing our communicating about these things. And hopefully they won't be in the surgery and we're not needing to, well, how did you get, I mean, there's the question, how did you get here in the first place? Um, because if they did get here by bus, then, you know, it is going to be tricky. Look, a lot of people don't have cars, so that's not an issue for them. I would suggest that if someone's made their way to the surgery, then then they got there by some means. And yes, we'll have to you have to figure it out to get them home again if they did come by public transport. I'm not offering any magical solutions. Um, I'm afraid, except to that hopefully these conversations are sort of that people think through the consequences of okay, I've gotten here. How am I going to get home without then running the risk of spreading the infection. Again, if we're being sensible, really there's a zone of um, safety, you know, in terms of how you, um, how far you are from someone, having a mask on and sort of washing washing the hands before and after probably means that you'd be safe to transport in the back of a car away from somebody. But again, you know, even catching an Uber is that fair to the Uber driver because that's going to potentially put his car out of action for the next half an hour um, because it will need to be completely wiped down um, and disinfected as well, really, realistically. Yeah, so it sounds like the best thing to do is to call your GP, stay home um, and, and don't go and spread anything that you've got around. That's exactly. Once, once you've got that awareness, you've got your red flag going, just stay put do the phone call, get advice and take it from there. I mean, I think it's begun, if, if this does roll out the way we um, think it may well do, I think that will become a little bit more acceptable because people will, other people around them will be having to do the same thing as well. And so the other thing I've been seeing uh, on social media is this question of what do you do if you live with your family or a share house? Do the people you're living with also have to self-isolate? Well, Potentially, absolutely. Um, so again, it will go down to you know what's the share arrangements, what's your contact. But pretty much, um, a household contact is a household contact, and they they're at risk as well. Yes, I'm afraid. <laughs> sure. So if if someone comes down with a cold or a flu or coronavirus, everyone should probably be staying home. Is what you're yep. advising? Okay. Either that, or they go and put themselves in a in another place, um, but again, they 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 need to minimise their their contact with others if they don't want to stick around. Um, if they think that they if they personally think that their risk is really low, they might want to go and self isolate at a separate location, as long as they're then not putting other people at risk in that separate location. Sure. And what what do you mean by a separate location? Well, say for instance. I think, oh, look, I've really had very little contact with them, so I don't think I'm going to get it. I might go and stay at my holiday house for the next two weeks rather than staying here uh, where I'm really likely to get it just because I'm in the same house. Oh, I see. Um, so you separate out um, yep. even further. Oh, okay, because yep. that was one of the criticisms of the cruise ships is that everyone on those cruise ships um, was at risk because they were all in the same environment. Um, exactly had they been right. separated out and also quarantined, that potentially might have been safer. Yep. So again, in in a in a share house, then obviously you can manage that by keeping somebody in their room and or 
having washing down any surfaces that they share. There's all sorts of things that you can do to manage what that looks like for everybody. Mm. And when you say wash down, there's been some discussion about, uh, you know, using alcohol-based um, products. Right. Does that actually work or is it, you know, are they effective to, to remove viruses? The alcohol wipes are fine for wiping down the surfaces and then you need to wait half an hour for the um for the surface to be deemed um effectively cleansed sure okay so is alcohol effective against viruses or is it you know you could use any sort of household cleaning product and then wait half an hour look it's a bit like washing your hands you can use soap and water that's fine it's about washing the surface down and making it clean Mm -hmm. and then waiting okay that's useful so I think the biggest thing is just, you know, being mindful about keeping all surfaces clean. We probably don't do enough of that in general practice anyway. So it's about wiping down all the surfaces that we interact with. Um, another one of the things that people haven't always thought about is like the credit card that people are paying with, you know, that's with their hands. So maybe try and do that more of a no-touch technique so that the receptionist you know, holds the machine up and the person taps on it rather than hands the card over or anything like that and maybe wiping those machines down um, regularly as well to try and minimise any other sorts of unwitting type of contact. Sure. Yeah, that's a sensible suggestion. Um, Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think a lot of that information, you know, hopefully it won't be necessary for lots of people to do those things, but if, if it does you know turn out that it's a a worst case scenario um that will be really useful information so thank you no problem and let's watch this space hopefully for a medicare item that actually enables the telephone triaging so we really can in general practice land safely manage our patients without putting any other people at risk absolutely Thanks for listening to the Medical Republic podcast. We're going to be working really hard over the next few weeks to try and bring you timely updates and important information through this channel. So um, if you're interested, please subscribe on Spotify or iTunes um, and please get in touch if there's something that you think we really should cover. Um, You can contact me at felicity at medicalrepublic.com.au. Thanks for listening.